You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. We turn to the Word of God. If you have your Bible, maybe you'd open it there at uh, Luke 14 and we'll pray. Father, as we turn now to your Word, we need the help of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I need the help of your Spirit. And those who listen to me uh, need it too. And we ask God that you would speak through your truth. And I pray that that truth would grip our hearts and move our wills for Christ's sake. Amen. I wonder many times you've seen uh, a motto in a wall of a home you've been in. You maybe have this in your own home. A picture and written up there is Jesus Christ is the head of this home, the silent listener to every conversation, the unseen guest at every meal. Those are worthy sentiments, and if those truths would sink into our subconscious, we would be a lot easier to live with. In fact, I would say there'd be a lot less conversation, maybe. Uh, just think of it. If we, if we let that truth sink in, and it is a truth, that he is the unseen listener to every conversation. If that truth alone gripped our hearts, I believe it would change. It would change our lives. But I wonder how many of us would really want to have the Lord Jesus at our table because he can be a very dangerous guest. A Pharisee discovered that fact when he invited the Lord into his home for a Sabbath breakfast. The Lord's table talk was anything but idle conversation. He taught several important lessons, and that's why I read the verses before this parable of the great banquet. He taught a lesson in sympathy, healing the the man with with dropsy, uh, healing a a man on the Sabbath day. He, He had something to teach the people around him about Sabbath observance. Um, tells that little parable about the ox. And, and, uh, and Jesus was asking here, should you treat your animals better than I treat a man made in God's image? Application, you know, in our day and generation, very often isn't it true that animals are treated better than people? And sometimes people are treated like animals. And, and, of course, that's wrong. A lesson in sympathy. Then a lesson in humility. Verses 7 to 11 there, when, when he talks about being invited to a feast. You know, that's something that haunts me uh, when I was active in the ministry and uh, conducting a wedding ceremony and then going to the reception. Always had this nightmare, you know, I'll go to the top table because that's usually where the minister sat. And then somebody would come and say, oh, no, you're not. We want you to move down here. So I always checked, made sure that I was supposed to be at the top table before I would go to the top table. But a lesson in humility. Take the lower place and then be elevated rather than take the higher place and be humiliated. And then thirdly, a lesson in generosity. Verses 12 to 14, where he says, you know, instead of just inviting your friends and who will reciprocate and invite you back. Fight someone who can't reciprocate, someone who can't pay you back. I wonder how many of us have ever done that. 
I'm trying to think of any time, and I would, I'm struggling to think of any time that I've done that to my shame. To invite someone for a meal that that never has the opportunity. No, I have done that. Yes, I have, because I've had people that have been visitors to church overseas, and we've invited them for lunch. I don't know if that counts. But, but so often, isn't it true that we invite the people that we're comfortable with? And that's how cliques are formed. You know, surround yourself with people who think the same as you. But it's the lesson in opportunity that we want to look at this morning. Uh, and that I want to concentrate on this uh, this parable of the great banquet. Uh, it comes about as a result of a remark made by one of those sitting at the table. Verse 15, you see it there. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus was saying to this man, in effect, through this parable, how do you even know that you will enter the kingdom of God? If you don't use the opportunities that you have right now, you may find the door closed in your face. You see, it's not enough to, you know, to uh, make pious speeches, to talk the talk. You, you, must, you must respond to God's invitation. Here's a man, like, like many today, who, who wants to go to heaven. He wants to come into the kingdom of God. That's, that's really what he wants. And, and he likes to hear people talk about God. But it never seems to go any further. And the Lord uses this occasion to remind him, and all the company around him, through this parable of the Great Supper, that that people may have the kingdom of God offered to them, and yet they may willfully neglect it and be lost forever. There are three scenes in this parable of the Great Supper. The first scene is preparation. Verse 17, everything is now ready. Everything is now ready. The host has made great preparations. Uh, animals have been slaughtered. The meat has been prepared. Everything's ready. Everything is ready. The place has been prepared. The tables, chairs, all laid out, and everything is now ready. It's interesting that Christ compares salvation to a feast. To look at many believers, you would think that the Christian life was a fast or a funeral or a famine. God knows that as sinners, people are hungry and thirsty and ready to die. People are empty. And, and folks, I would argue that that describes the society that you and I are living in today. Oh, plenty of stuff. You know, we live in an affluent society. We live in a society where people don't just have what they need, they have what they need, and far, far more besides, and yet they're empty because what they have doesn't satisfy. They want more of what they have, and more, and more, and still it doesn't satisfy. People are empty. Folks, salvation, like food at a meal, 
must be received within. A, a hungry guest could sit at the table and admire the food and in theory starve to death. And there are people who actually do that. There are people who suffer from conditions like anorexia nervosa. And, and they starve themselves to death. And it's not because there isn't food. There's food and plenty of it. But they won't take it within their bodies. Jesus Christ is, describes himself as the bread of life. And he must be received within before he can save us. Our physical food only sustains life. It doesn't give life. You know, there'd be no point in setting a corpse down to a meal. Corpse couldn't make any use of it. Physical food only sustains life. But the bread of life imparts life to the dead sinner. You see, the feast is prepared by God. Sinners do nothing but come and dine, come and eat. And Jesus calls it a great banquet. Why? Well, because it was planned and executed out of a great love. It was God who took the initiative. For God so loved the world. There's the motivation. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So it was planned and executed out of a great love, and it met a great need. And the great need is that you and I are cut off from God because of our sin, because of our hard hearts. We're cut off. We're without God and without hope by nature. So it's, it's a great banquet because it met a great need. And it, it's a great banquet because it cost a great price. And weren't we remembering that last weekend at Easter? When we thought about the price that was paid, that he went all the way to the cross and became a curse for us, became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. But there are two words that stand out there in verse 17. And they're the words everything and now. Everything is now ready. God has done everything. God has done everything that needed to be done to save lost sinners. What more could he do? There was nothing more that he could do. Everything has been done. Christ finished the work of redemption on the cross. The table is spread with everything that we need. Things like forgiveness, cleansing, peace with God, joy, glory, and much, much more. Everything. And it is now ready. Now. At this moment in time, it's ready. Paul wrote, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So the first scene is one of preparation. Scene two, invitation. Again, verse 17. Come, for everything is now ready. Come is certainly one of the great words of the gospel, isn't it? It, it really is. It's the difference between the Christian gospel and religion. Because religion tells the sinner to do 
tells the sinner to go and do such and such and such and such. I was telling them in Le Comfort, I have two friends who work in Westport. Some of you may have heard them, uh, Rhonda Glass and Karen Burns. Rhonda was in my Bible class in Thurport, Renown. Karen was converted in my time in Kilkeel. And they've been working in Westport, uh, Calvary Mission churches there for the last 22 years. And, and they went there, first of all, uh, one St. Patrick's Day to give out tracts at the bottom of, is it Crookpatrick, is, they, is the mountain there? Pilgrims would come there, and to this day they do this on St. Patrick's Day, and they walk to the top, some of them on their bare feet to try and curry favor with God, to try and earn their, their way to heaven, to, to try and earn their salvation. No, you can't do that. You cannot do it. The Christian gospel says, come. It doesn't say, go and do this or do that, or pay, or hope. It says, come. And come, you know, indicates the simplicity of salvation. All, all a person need do is to take that step of faith and trust Christ. The simplicity of salvation. But it also announces the availability of salvation. The door is open. The feast has been spread. It's ready. Come. But come also suggests the responsibility a person has to act on God's gracious invitation. Yes, God is sovereign. God is the author and the finisher of our faith. God is sovereign, but man is responsible. We're responsible to react to that invitation, to respond to that invitation. You see, there's nothing wanting in God's part for the salvation of, of people. And, and let me say to you today, if you are not a Christian, if I'm speaking to you and you're not a Christian, I want to say to you, that is not God's fault. It is not God's fault that you are not a Christian. The Father is ready to receive all who come to him through Christ. The Son is ready to cleanse all from their sins who apply to him by faith. The Spirit is ready to come to all who ask him. People make no mistake about it. There is an infinite willingness in God to save man. If man is only willing to be saved. Do you remember Jesus standing overlooking Jerusalem, weeping? How often would I have gathered you? But you would not come. You would not come. No one will be ever able to say that he had no encouragement to seek salvation. Jesus' words will silence every objector. Jesus himself said, he that comes to me, I will never drive away. Now, you would have expected everybody to respond enthusiastically to this invitation, to come to a feast, a feast that had been prepared at great expense Great time and effort has been put into it. It's all laid on for them. All they have to do is come. You would think they would flock to it. 
Well, those invited began to make excuses, we're told. And you read, you read the excuses. We'll not go through them. They were just excuses. That's what they were. They weren't reasons. They were excuses. Just thinking of a, a friend of mine just told me yesterday about, about a, a dinner that has been organized in honor of a person. I'm not going to say what the circumstances are. 160 people were invited. Do you know how many, do you know how many responded that they're coming? 26. 26. 160 invited, 26 responded. But here, these people here in this story, they began to make excuses. And, and folks, don't we have here a vivid picture of the reception which the gospel meets wherever it is proclaimed? Untold thousands are continually doing what this, what this parable describes. They are invited to come to Christ, and they will not come. They will not come. It's not that they don't know. It's either simply that they're not willing, or love for this world turns them away. It's not even that they're anti the gospel. It's, it's simply procrastination. What they mean is this, I'm not coming now, but I may come if you invite me again. But they never had an op a second opportunity in this parable. And that leads to the third scene of the parable. There's been the preparation, there's been the invitation. And then there's the condemnation. In verses 21 to 24, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Did you notice there what it said about the host? The host became angry. The host became angry. Don't often think about the anger of God, do we? There's such an emphasis on the love of God. And of course there should be an emphasis on the love of God. But, but God is multifaceted. He's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's also a God of justice, and he's a God of wrath. And he can't turn a blind eye to sin. He can't turn a blind eye to disobedience. That would, he would be unjust to himself. After all, he had planned, as far as the host here is concerned for this supper, the price that he had paid, what the guests were really doing was they were insulting him. And you see, it's the same with people who refuse God's loving invitation. God has prepared salvation at great cost. And people, he issues the invitation, and people have no respect for the Lord. Paul puts it like this in Romans 3.18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. If ever there was a day when that is true, it's this day the day we live in. There are so many people fear neither man 
nor God. They're self-sufficient and self-reliant. You see, I, I don't believe that God's invitation is just a suggestion. It's a command. God commands all men everywhere to repent, Acts 17.30. And to reject his invitation is simply that you're disobeying his will. Disobeying his will. How did the host show his anger? Well, he sent the servants to invite other guests. He didn't go back to the original guests and plead with these people who had insulted him. No. He simply found others to take their place. The servant scarred the streets and the lanes of the city, and he brought in the poor, the crippled, the lame. Because there was still room, the servant left the city, goes out into the highways and the byways, and he brings in the vagrants and all kinds of people until the house was full. Now, why did these outsiders accept the invitation while the insiders refused it? Well, I believe the answer is this, that those outsiders knew their need. They knew their need. They were desperate. They were lonely, hungry, thirsty, and ready to die. As well as that, they weren't welcome anywhere else. Only the Lord welcomes people that nobody else wants. And I'm sure when they first heard that invitation, I'm sure they would have thought, what's the catch? What's going on here? But, but they, and I'm sure they thought, this is too good to be true. But they believed the message. They came to the feast and they discovered they were welcome. You see, the poor wouldn't be out buying property. The crippled wouldn't be testing oxen. It seems the Lord was warning the Jewish people that if they rejected him, God would extend the invitation to the Gentiles. And of course, that's exactly what he did. Isn't there application here for us? We who are privileged with the gospel truth for generations. I would argue privileged more perhaps than any other people in the whole world. We are so blessed in this country. For generations, we have had free access to the gospel. What have we done with it? To whom much has been given, the Lord says, much will be required. Folks, I would argue, no one dare trifle with the gospel invitation. It's an awesome responsibility to consider that, that invitation. You know, maybe I'm speaking to someone here. Not only have you been privileged to belong to a church where the gospel of God's grace has been freely proclaimed and you've belonged to it all your life, but for some of you have been brought up even in a Christian home. You've had it lived out in front of you. You're steeped in it. You know it inside out. You know it that well. You could preach it yourself. And yet, maybe, I'm speaking to someone, and, and this describes you, and still you're unresponsive. Still, you're 
you're saying no to this invitation. And the reason you do that is you don't know your need. You don't know the danger that you're in. You don't realize or you don't think about it enough that you are just a heartbeat from eternity. That's what you are. A heartbeat. It can come so quickly. Just something comes into mind. When I was about 16, 17 years of age, I went with my not my uncle, my great-uncle, my grandfather's brother, to a meeting in Randallstown one night. And before the meeting started, they were gathering up just about to take their seats, and a man in front of me dropped dead. And I mean, he was dead before he hit the floor. There was a doctor there, a GP, couldn't do a thing. Like that. Like that. All of us are equally vulnerable. That's the reality, folks. That's the reality. So we must not trifle with this gospel invitation because the next thing we see here is that the host, the next thing he did was, what did he do? He closed the door. He said, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Verse 24. No wonder the prophet Isaiah warns, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Seek him while he is found. Call upon him while he is near. If any of the original guests decided to change their mind and come to the feast, well, they discovered the door was shut and his opportunity was gone forever. A lesson in opportunities. So let me ask you, as we close, what are you doing with the opportunities that the Lord has given you? First of all, those of you who are unbelievers, what excuses are you offering for not responding positively to the invitation to come to the Lord? Do you really think that on the final day that the Lord will accept those excuses? Believer, what excuses are you giving for not serving him? God wants his house filled. Let me ask you, what are you doing to see his desire fulfilled? Look at the urgency here. Come, bring, go out, bring them in. There's an urgency about this. Can you sit idly by while friends and neighbors and even relatives are on their way to a lost eternity? Maybe you think, oh, this is something that the minister should do. This is something that the elders should do. Nonsense. This is something for every believer. Every believer has a responsibility to share the good news. Listen, it's good news that you're sharing. You're not bringing them bad news. You're saying there's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that's open. You may go in. 
Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. Today in his grace, he gives you another opportunity. And he says, come, for everything is now ready. Let's pray. Thank you.